As we have said before on this podcast, the world is a curious place. I'm your host, Leah. I'm today, Phil. And I'm Steve. Today's episode features weird and wondrous geographical oddities from all over the world. If you have an appetite for the strange and bizarre, then pull up a chair and grab a spoon for another intriguing serving of Remnant Stew. Remnant Stew is gluten-free, organic, made from all natural, free-range ingredients and guaranteed to provide the recommended daily serving of curiosity. Well, now before we jump into those wonderful geographic oddities, let's take a look at the calendar, shall we? Gosh, I, this can, year, I cannot believe it's May already. May flying by, isn't it? In fact, uh, this this coming Friday, Friday the 13th, in fact, well, it's really hey. not such a scary day after all. You see, Friday the 13th is National Apple Pie Day. Nice. I can't, I can't get behind that. You're right. Mm. A true American classic deserves its own day, which is why on May 13th we celebrate National Apple Pie Day. This dessert has been a symbol of the United States for many years, even warranting the expression, quote, as American as apple pie. That's pretty nice, isn't it? <laughs> yep, yep. That's right. And here in Texas, we uh, we love our bluebell ice blue cream bell on with top. Apple. That's yeah, right. bluebell with apple pie for sure. Mm-hmm. A comfort food for many people, apple pie is best enjoyed with friends and family around a table. There is always also nothing like the smell of a freshly baked apple mm. pie. Oh, you, know, you walk in the house and you smell that in the oven. That's is it a, a fruit good or a vegetable? Okay, yeah, I don't care. Listen, both. I'm but getting it, but, hungry. But then at that point, it's health food. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Totally. And so everything in there is healthy. <laughs> exactly. That's why we're not skinny, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> so today, get baking, get your forks out, and enjoy a slice of this iconic dessert. Happy Apple Pie Day. Now, on a more serious note, this Sunday, May 15th, is National Peace Officer Memorial Day. Uh, every year on May 15th, uh, Peace Officer Memorial Day honors and pays tribute to police and law enforcement officers who have lost their lives or been disabled in the line of duty while protecting their communities. You know, I've mentioned uh, uh, a person here several times uh, on um, a previous episode, my beautiful, wild, red-haired cousin, Melanie, who, as we oh, were yeah. kids, she had, the, she had the knack for talking <laughs> me into right. doing all kinds of things. But I've never really mentioned that Melanie actually made her career as a police officer. Oh, uh, wow. Bright red hair. She looks stunning in her officer's <laughs> uniform as well. But she was also a very, very good officer. Uh, she's retired now. I'm really proud of her. Uh, uh, she is retired, but she still suffers from an injury that she sustained on the job. Mm. So uh, we want to take the time to thank all of our uh Peace officer friends uh, for listening to us, and we appreciate you very much for the Absolutely. job that you do. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, so so on May fifteenth, sixteenth, okay, uh-huh. we got the full moon. It's flower moon, right? To signify the flowers that bloom during this month, uh, and the the wildflowers here are gorgeous. Uh-huh. Um, other names for the full moon in May are corn planting moon and milk moon. Uh, but here's the thing. Wait, milk moon. Milk moon. <laughs> milk moon. I wonder where that comes from. Right. I, I, I can, no I can understand corn planting moon, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't know where milk moon. Oh, well, oh wait, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. I didn't no that. idea. Milk moon. Okay. <laughs> but um, but something special happens uh, at this full moon. There is an eclipse that's visible yes. from North America, uh-huh. except for the the northwestern region. So the moon will enter pre or I'm sorry. Pe- 
Yeah, prenumbra. I have that misprinted right there. But um, at 9.31, what is it, EDT? Eastern what is that? Daylight East time. Day. Yeah, Eastern, Eastern Daylight, Daylight Time. time. So yeah. on the East Coast, yeah. 9.31 p.m. on May 15th and leave it at 2.52 a.m. Oh, okay. So, that sounds like an all-night Remnants new party, don't chilly. you think? I think we're, we're going to try to get together awesome. and at least yeah. watch part of it until we like, get it poop started. out. See, then who passes out? Yeah. <laughs> right. So be sure to go out and at least look at it. it. It starts early enough in the evening that you can at least see the, the beginnings of it. Yeah, it's fun. really, really cool. That's good. Eclipse of the Moon. That's fun. Now, Tuesday, May 17th, we want to shout Happy Independence Day to all of our friends in Norway. We have a lot of listeners in Norway. Uh, in 1905, Norway became independent from its neighbor, Sweden. The day is marked by children's parades throughout the country. So happy Independence Day to all of our friends Woo! over happy in the fjords. <laughs> and then next Friday, May 20th, is National Rescue Dog Day. Woo. Woo. So we're, we're going to want to see your rescue dogs. Yeah, show us pictures. Yes, absolutely. And I'll show you my rescue dog. <laughs> National Rescue Dog Day is observed on May 20th, and it aims to uh, uh, at encouraging people to adopt dogs from mm-hmm. shelters and rescues, as well as educating children about animals and their benefits, and raising awareness to the importance of spaying and neutering your pet. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can still hear Bob Barker at the end of every uh, <laughs> That's right. Price is Right. Help control the pet population. Let's spay and neuter your pet. The ASPCA estimates that around 3.3 million dogs arrive at shelters every year. That's a lot of dogs. Uh, Either because they are abandoned, abused, or rescued. National Rescue Dog Day highlights the fact that all these dogs need and deserve a forever home. That's right. Uh, Man's best friend. Let's take good care of them. You know, Lee and Phil, I've always loved geography. Well, I, I assume so, since you've taught it for so long. <laughs> right. Well, it started off pretty early. I can I can really clearly remember in second grade being in Mrs. Hunter's class at Tyvee Elementary School and standing in front of the big map of the United States, studying the shape and the layout of each state mm-hmm. and how they connect to each other. When the weekly reader came out every Friday, there would be an article about an event that happened in Oregon or Pennsylvania. We would all rush to the map to see where that was located. I specifically recall one issue. This was going to date me pretty seriously. (laughs) Detailing the opening of the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. I think that was in 1965, and I was in second grade, so you can do the math there. (laughs) Mrs. Hunter pointed out where St. Louis was, right on the Mississippi River. And uh, that's when I realized that many of the crooked state lines were, in fact, rivers. Uh, the classroom also had a rather large globe. Our horizons were expanded as we learned the location of our state and country in relation to the rest of the world. And, of course, like kids always do, we played the, quote, close your eyes, spin the globe, and put your finger down game. Seemed like I always landed in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> But for my birthday that year, I asked my parents for a globe and also for a map puzzle of the United States. And I got to where I could actually draw a pretty decent map of the U.S. freehand. Nice. When I went to college, geography became my major. And I've spent many of the past years since college teaching geography to middle school students. And I still love geography today. Awesome. One of the things that I like to do with my students is to point out the odd geography of the various locations and how that has impacted history. For example, 
If you look at a map of Europe, you will notice that the coastline is very irregular. Mm -hmm. There are numerous islands and peninsulas. There are peninsulas which have their own peninsulas. Think about Italy's boot heel. You know, Mm -hmm. the heel is a peninsula on a peninsula. Well, it's funny. Like, how small does it have to be to be considered a peninsula? Because, (laughs) you know... Like, it could just be a jetty. Well, yeah, yeah, it could yeah. Be. <laughs> I mean, it's really tiny. They call it a cape, I think. But you know, and I live on a peninsula, but it's a peninsula into a lake. Right. Anyway, it still counts. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there are countless bays, coves, and inlets, mm-hmm. including, as we mentioned earlier, the spectacular fjords of Norway. Uh, there are also numerous long navigable rivers, such as the Rhine and the Danube. Now, these features forced early Europeans to learn how to build and sail boats. And later ships. If you wanted to travel or trade in Europe, you had to go by water. Their ever-increasing knowledge of sailing and shipbuilding set them up to be the world's first great explorers. Yep. Europeans were the first to really get out. Really, when you look at it, um, frankly, Europe is a fairly small area. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's right. one of the reasons I like traveling there is you can get around pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> from one place to the other. But the impact that Europeans have had on the world has been huge. Now, we're speaking English right now, a language that is a European language. Uh, and much of that is directly related to their irregular geography. No comments on that? Right <laughs> we were impressed. Oh, okay. Oh, you're in deep thought, we I see. We were in deep thought. We were, deep pondering, thought. Wow. We were pondering all of the amazing things and dr- oh, okay, looking good. at our own maps I at this really... point, trying to find out what a cove looks like. <laughs> well, now, here's the thing. My grandmother, my step-grandmother is uh, German. She lives right. in Germany. And she came to visit the States one time. Now, for one thing, she we lived in Montgomery, Texas, which right. – Tiny, 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 right? But she thought we lived in Montgomery, Alabama, <laughs> because you, you know, because we yeah. have different cities that are the, yeah, same, you know, the same names. Similar names, yeah. Yeah. and um, same and name. she also started picking out all the places she wanted to visit. Oh, around the country, right. and we had to tell her, "No, I'm so sorry, you can't get there, and <laughs> you can't do that. Can't it's not a day trip, day, yeah. right? <laughs> not a day trip. So, You're here yeah. for four days. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you're not even going to see half of those. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to the Grand Canyon no. and to Yellow, you know, Yellowstone and, and the Empire State Building right. all, all on one day. Now it's not going to happen. <laughs> get your pilot's license. <laughs> There's a terrific website called farandwide.com, and we recently saw a great article there called Geography Facts That Will Blow Your Mind. No. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you might ought to wear a safety helmet while we're listening to this. The article was written by a wonderful author named Lisa Poirot. Did I say that correctly? I think so. Okay. Yeah, we'll give it Poirot. a shot. It's a We're sorry, Lisa, if we did not. P-O-I-R-O-T, but it's uh, she told me it's pronounced Poirot. Uh, we are very grateful here at Remnant Stew to Ms. Poirot for granting us permission to quote directly from her fine article. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, you might expect an article with this kind of title to contain, what, maybe 10 or 12 or at the most 16 mind-blowing facts, but no. No, there's more? Ms. Poirot <laughs> has accumulated and beautifully illustrated a whopping 126 mind-blowing facts about geography. Hey, at least it ended on an even number. I read... <laughs> I read them all, and and believe me, my mind was blown. Now, like I say, it would probably be irresponsible of us to unload all 126 of these on you at once. Oh, why not? Responsible for any head injuries here. So, (laughs) uh, to to narrow it down, we found some that we thought were the most uh, intriguing. Of course. And we're going to begin with an easy one. Phil, can you guess which U.S. state has the longest coastline? 
I would have to say California. Well, California is pretty long, but, but it doesn't even come in anywhere near to Alaska. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alaska. In fact, Alaska shoreline is over 47,300 miles, cool. which is longer than the shorelines of all the contiguous 48 states combined. What? Okay, now no, that, no, that's yeah. crazy. That is crazy. That's that's crazy. Awesome. I never would have thought that. I think you go from Maine all the way to, to the coast well, of Texas and then all the way up the, uh, the, the Pacific coast, too. And I think yeah. it may be because of all the islands. Many islands, yeah. yeah the Aleutian Islands. It. So they're adding those. But it's a very large area, too. Mm. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's all part of Alaska. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but wait, there's more. You might think of Alaska as the westernmost state in the United States, especially yeah. when looking at a map. And all the Aleutian Islands. But it's also the easternmost state. Because <laughs> it wraps. That's true. <laughs> what, wait a minute. How does due that the, work? Due to the fact that it stretches so far west that it falls into the eastern hemisphere. Oh. Now, you might okay. recall. The yeah, furthest right. island is furthest west, which yeah. then becomes east because you pass the... The dateline, date right? Yeah, the, okay. That's correct. You know, okay. We uh, we talked uh, on an episode uh, <laughs> on a the few, time, right? Yeah, so few, technically, few you ago. could be on one island, call the next one, and say, "How's yesterday going?" That's pretty much the case. <laughs> <laughs> what will tomorrow be like? Um, we talked about uh, on a previous episode the the setting of the international dateline at the 180th uh, meridian. That's right. Uh, which divides the western hemisphere from the eastern hemisphere, but the um, uh, the Aleutian Islands do, in fact, extend so far west that they go over the 180th um, meridian to uh, to the eastern to the side. eastern hemisphere. So, so uh, um, Alaska is both the westernmost and easternmost state in the United States. That's crazy. Now, how about another mind-blowing fact about Alaska? If your mind's not blown yet... <laughs> uh, Give us time. Give did us you know time. that Alaska is home to the largest cities in the United States? Okay. Uh, like, but wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, okay, wait, wait. <laughs> wait. Largest as in land area well, or let's population? See, you know, of course, yeah, the population of the whole state is <laughs> only about three-quarter of a million people. Yeah. So, okay, so it's not, not really population. the largest in population, but based on land area. Consumed um, for a yeah. city. Okay. So Sitka, Alaska, it only has a few more than 10,000 residents, but the city spans more than 2,800 square miles. <laughs> uh, to, as a comparison, New York City is just 302 square miles. <laughs> Big Apple, indeed. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Juneau, with more than 31,000 people, is on 2,700 square miles. Tiny Wrangell, Alaska, with just over 2,300 residents, spreads across more than 2,500 square miles. That's right. That's Every person in Wrangell has, has their own square mile. mile. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fence me in. <laughs> so, yeah, some great Alaska facts. Now, speaking of coastlines, can you guess which country has the most islands? Don't know. Your silence. Yeah, well, uh, I, I thought it would be. I, actually, I missed this one too. I thought it would be the Philippines yeah. because there's like seventy six hundred and forty one islands in the Philippines. But no, well. it's, that's like number six on the list. No way. Yeah, Indonesia is number five with seventeen thousand five hundred eight islands. Uh, coming in number four is Canada, then Norway, then uh, Finland at number two. But the country with the most islands in the world is. Sweden. Wow. With a mind-blowing 221,800 islands as part of the country of Sweden. Well, even the capital Stockholm is built on 14 different islands. 
So there are many, many islands up and down the coast, very popular places for uh, for the people in Sweden to go on their vacations. But yeah, Sweden, number wow. one with islands. I'm feeling very dumb. Just <laughs> like, and, and I guess because, you know what, when you think of islands, you think tropical. Oh, right. I guess, exactly. That's you know? why you go to the Philippines right I don't even think about bat. islands. Of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, Do they really count? Are they made of ice? Uh, no, they're they're actually land, and okay. they, they thawed out most of the time. Okay. I'm thinking there's no palm trees, though. Uh, probably not not tropical islands, but no, there are. But if, if you want tropical islands, let's go back to the Philippines for a minute. On the main island of Luzon, there is a lake called Lake Tail, T-A-A-L. Within Lake Tail, you're going to find Volcano Island. Okay. Within Volcano Island, you're going to find Main Crater Lake. And within Main Crater Lake, you will find an island named Vulcan Point. That's correct. <laughs> Vulcan Point is an island within a lake, lake on an island, island within a lake on, on an, an island. island. <laughs> we have a picture of it. We can put that on our That's a lot of Facebook rings. page. Right. <laughs> Many concentric circles there. Well, now let's talk about mountains. I love mountains. That's cool. I lived in Seattle uh, for about a decade back in the 90s, and I still have family there. Go there as often as I can. Beautiful city. Seattle is surrounded by the Cascades and the Olympic Mountains. But to Seattleites, there is really only one that's called the mountain, even though there's dozens of mountains all around. Beautiful Mount Rainier. This sleeping volcano is only about 45 miles southeast of the city, but on clear days which are few, unfortunately, in Seattle. <laughs> uh, it towers far and wide above all the other mountains in the area. It's like two and a half times taller than all the other mountains around. Mm. In fact, on a clear day when you can see it, locals have a saying. They say, the mountain is out. <laughs> without, out without from the clouds. It came in I used to laugh now. in Seattle. Uh, this is off the topic, but... Uh, they would give traffic warnings on the radio whenever the sun came out. Seriously. <laughs> because you're used to it being cloudy, and then the sun would come. You go around the corner, and the sun's right in your face. You're not prepared for it. <laughs> what is that light? Yes. <laughs> You'll probably recall from your days at school that Mount Everest is the highest point on Earth. Its elevation is pegged at 29,035 feet, more than five and a half miles above sea level. But what if I told you that it's not actually the tallest mountain on the planet? What you yeah, say? That's right. <laughs> that title goes to Mauna Kea in Hawaii. Now above the sea, Mauna yeah, Kea okay, only stands thirteen thousand seven hundred ninety-six feet in height. Oh, we're going underwater, aren't we? But when we follow the mountain to its base at the bottom of the Pacific, it's a total thirty-two thousand eight hundred and eight feet, over three thousand feet more than Mount Everest. So. If you could see it with the ocean drained, it would be a much taller mountain from bottom to top wow. than Mount Everest. I wonder what it would take to actually climb it that way. Scuba requirements yeah. plus. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of under the sea, the Mariana Trench has been measured to be 36,069 feet at its deepest recess. Wow. It's a huge scar off the uh, Pacific coast of Japan. And that means the Mount Everest could easily fit into the mm -hmm. trench with mm -hmm. even 7,000 feet more to spare. That gives you a, a, a visual of how deep that trench is. Uh, I saw a recent thing of a, a submarine that has gone down to the very bottom of it and done some exploration. It takes them forever just to get down to oh, it. yeah. Now, it sounds like we're kind of picking on Mount Everest, but actually, well, yeah. according to Ms. Poirot, not only is Everest not actually the tallest mountain in the world, 
It's also not the closest to outer space, Ooh. even though it boasts the highest elevation above sea level. Now, how does this work? Yeah. Well, that distinction goes instead to Ecuador's Mount Chimborazo, C-H-I-M-B-O-R-A-Z-O. How is this How is this possible? Well, you see, the Earth isn't actually quite round, but rather That's... oval with an inflated middle. Yeah, I can identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> I resemble this remark. Yeah, although Ecuador's Mount Chimborazo is only 20,564 feet in height, its equator location pushes it closer to the stars than Everest. Mind-blowing? I say yes. That is, that is a cool fact. That's a fact. <laughs> In fact, Everett, Everest isn't even the tallest above-water mountain from bottom to top. Ooh. In order to get to the bottom of Everest, you kind of got to go over the top of other mountains to even get there in a high plateau. Right. Right. But uh, the honor of uh, the tallest mountain from bottom to top belongs to Tanzania's Mount Kilimanjaro. It's a beautiful mountain. The right. base of it is almost at sea level and the tropics, and uh, it's just really just 200 miles off of the equator. But then it rises from nearly sea level up to over 19,000 feet and has a continual cover of snow. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's a stunning mountain. That's, uh, you're in the tropics at the bottom, and then there's snow continually at the top of it. By the way, Nepal, which is home to Mount Everest, is the only country in the world whose flag is not a rectangle. Uh, if you take take a look at, I think we've got it. We can put it on our website mm -hmm. here too, That's or right. on the uh, Facebook page. The flag of Nepal is two triangles. And they're a combination of pennants to showcase the country's Himalaya mountains. Wow. Oh. Well, you know, if your most your entire country is mountains, mountainous, <laughs> right? All right. Now, before we continue with our weird geography. We have some reviews we'd like to read, some that have come in, really nice things that people have said. Um, one of uh, some, somebody named Ranger Boyd. And Ranger we don't know, Boyd. <laughs> we don't know who Ranger Boyd is, but he wrote in, uh, on, this was on uh, Apple. Right? That's right. Yeah, it came in on Apple. Apple, and it's, he said, fun and interesting, exclamation point. Really fun podcasts filled with interesting history, great voices who interact perfectly with each other to That's add right. personal viewpoints. Oh, Thank you, Ranger thanks. Boyd. That's right. Thank you. We love reviews, to, by the way. To, to our knowledge, Ranger, Ranger Boyd is not related to any of us, so we're grateful. <laughs> yeah, nope. That, but, but we don't really know. I mean, that's his... That's his um, not nickname, what is it, like Avatar or whatever on Apple Music. Right. So who knows? Yeah, no it, it could be Phil, for it's all right. we know. <laughs> no, I don't play with fruit. <laughs> and then there's another one. Oh, and I love the way it's titled. It says, like a comfortable blanket. Oh, that's um, cozy. That's yeah. better than a wet blanket. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I've been around a few of those, but no. Comfortable blanket. <laughs> and she goes on to write, I guess it's, I'm not sure if it's Whoops. a she or a he. Uh, this show is a treasure. Really interesting topics read by host with a great rapport. It's warm and well-produced with the underlying message to be kind and stay curious. Perfect. And it's written by Jazz Finger in Great Britain. Hey. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so we don't know if it, uh, that's a woman or a man, but well, we really yeah. appreciate they it. They have jazzy just, fingers, certainly for sure. Thank you so much fingers. for that nice report, uh, Jazz Finger. Thank you. And now back to our weird geography. Okay, so a lot of our podcast episodes start with just one cool fact or story that I feel needs to be shared because it's so cool. And then we 
pull in related stories and ideas from there. So this really right. cool looking formation that I'm going to tell you about is the one that inspired this episode. So have you ever heard of an effigy mound? I had never heard of it before I saw this. No. Okay, so I'd, I'd never heard of it before either. And apparently there's several out there, even in the United States. Right. But um, so I came across the story of the Great Serpent Mound in Ohio. And according to Wikipedia, an effigy, an effigy mound is a raised pile of earth built in the shape of a stylized animal, symbol, religious figure, human or other figure that makes me think of the the nazca lines you know and all that but but this is mounded earth effigy mounds were constructed in many native american cultures and scholars believe that they are primarily used for religious purposes although uh some also fulfilled a burial mound function right so the great serpent mound is located on a plateau of the serpent mound crater along ohio brush creek in adams county ohio and has been designated a natural historic landmark by the united states department of interior it is the largest serpent effigy in the world so apparently there's more than one serpent effigy so it's really interesting looking i i looked it up it's it's in southern ohio kind of east of cincinnati yeah, and it's beautiful. Okay, so this really and nice. it's huge. The Serpent Mound is a one thousand three hundred seventy six feet long, uh-huh. and varies in height from less than a foot to more than three feet high. So it's not really high off the ground, but no. high enough that you know you that it's put it's there something on purpose. Different. And yeah. I, I guess it, it's amazing to me because you know landscapes change all the time, right. you know, and you have a house that that is. Uh, torn down or what have you and and the land comes in over i mean right. you know we're always digging it so the fact that this has remained and i guess it's yeah. been maintained is the reason that it's it's suppose, there yes. um but the snake's tail coils around three times and then its body <laughs> contorts so there's a spiral at one end right. and then its body contor- contorts to the curve on the land uh twisting back and forth with its head Looking as if the mouth is wide open and about to swallow what looks like an oval of some sort. So there's a separate <laughs> there's a separate oval. So it's a hungry serpent. It's an yeah. egg. So well, okay. So some scholars <laughs> think it was an egg, um, or the sun, which kind of goes into the Ooh, legend. Swallowing and all stuff. the sun or the moon, right? Yeah. Or the body of a frog, which I don't see that. Okay, it's a, it's an oval. So it's an but oval. I don't know if the frog well, comes yeah. into a, tadpole, a legend maybe, or whatever. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but or or it could just be the remnants of a platform for a religious ceremony. There are similar serpent ed- effigies in Ontario, Canada, and in Scotland, but the Serpent Mound in Ohio is the largest in the world. Archaeologists are still debating the origin of the Serpent Mound. Uh, the mound contains no artifacts and no burials that could help establish the age of the yeah. mound. I thought they were burial mounds, but this Mm-mm. is just right. they decided to make no. a serpent. Hey, let's just yeah. make us a the... serpent that's just going over right. here. Right. Yeah. Right. Why not? And so who knows if it if it played into the legend of that the legend and lore of that area or who knows what. Right. But uh the two leading theories are that the mound was built by either the Adena culture around three hundred twenty BC right. or the Fort Ancient culture around ten seventy eighty. Or two big, kids big out of either one of those. <laughs> yeah, that just is a big gap. And and there's like I think they did some radiocarbon dating or whatever that pointed to one and that but it just it's this big debate in the right. area. Um, looking at the aerial pictures of the mound, you can tell. I mean, it's not subtle at all. You can see it. It's very obviously a snake, and it's a beautifully grassy area. The park that it's uh, that is established around the mound is very right. well kept, and 
I would love to go and see this in person. Right. It looks really neat. So if you're in the area, stop by it. Go check it out. Serpent Mound. And now for something completely off topic and off kilter. Brace yourself for the oddity du jour. Okay, so for today's oddities, I'm going to kind of quiz you. I didn't even put this in our notes because so, I didn't want you to see oh, it. Oh, you were tricky. I thought, so, you, I thought you left something out. <laughs> it's like, wait a nope, second. Nope, I got it over here. Um, okay, so these are char- fictional character names. Okay, I'm going to okay. like Fictional ask, character names. Fictional character names. For example, Barbie. Do you know what Bar- – Barbie actually has a full name. Do you know – no. Uh, okay, no, do you I even don't. know what I'm talking about, Barbie? Well, like yes, Barbie I had, Barbie doll. Doll, yeah. I had two sisters, <laughs> and daughter, they yeah. had a ton of them. <laughs> well, y'all are just looking at me. Yeah, I've stepped on Barbie's shoes. <laughs> there, but it's a, you know. Yeah. No. Okay, so, no, she has she has three names. First name, middle name, and last name, okay? It's Barbara Millicent Roberts. Oh, I have heard that somewhere before, yeah. now that you mentioned it, but yeah. not, I couldn't, couldn't no. think of it. Barbie. Okay. All okay, right. so how about okay? Do you know who this is? Norval Rogers. Norval Rogers. Okay, I'll give a you a hint. Person. Captain Rogers. No, oh, no, he's a cartoon character that wears a green shirt and brown pants. Norval Rogers. Oh come on! I thought you'd get it. Fell Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Oh, that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Norval Roberts or Rogers. Yeah, Rod- I'm sorry, Rogers. Shaggy is named Norval Rogers. <laughs> That's why right. it goes by that. Shaggy. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Poor guy. Well, and then okay, so Scooby Doo is not just Scooby Doo. That Scooby is short for Scoobert. It's Scoobert Doo. Scoobert. Wow. Okay, so um, Tony the Tiger. That's a nickname. It's actually Anthony <laughs> the Tiger. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Only his mama calls him that. Okay, okay. Right. So what about this character? This is a brand character, okay? Um, Horatio Magellan, and then if I give you his last name, you'll know it. Oh, is that Captain Crunch? Yes, Captain it is. Crunch. I yes, it is. That. Yeah. Very good. Um, okay. Captain Crunch. Now, K- C-A-P-N, yeah, there, there's, Captain Crunch. Yeah, it's not the whole thing. Now, yeah. this is, the okay, the Quaker Oats guy. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, okay. the pilgrim-looking guy? Uh-huh. He's a Quaker guy, yeah. What do you think his name is? Bob. <laughs> oh, oh, you're not you're not too far off. Friend Robert. No, okay. You would think it'd be a Quaker name. It's not. No, it's no, Larry. Okay. <laughs> Larry. Larry. <laughs> and I had to look that up. I'm like, are you serious? What? The Quaker Oats so, guy is named Quaker. Larry. In in 2012, Quaker made a modest change to the Quaker Oats guy. They slimmed him down. <laughs> he went on a diet, <laughs> lost some that. weight, oh. and according to the brand, they took off about five pounds. <laughs> Oh, you can Which, see I mean, his he's, head. He's I mean. a drawing, but I don't know. Okay, sure. Um, so to reflect a more active lifestyle, <laughs> a new haircut and radiant skin from regular oh. oatmeal masks, apparently. apparently. They actually said oh, you that. you can see is his hat, you know. So, um, <laughs> and he's got that white, curly, I mean, yeah. he's got flowing locks, right? Right. But they also began saying that he was affection- affectionately known as Larry, which for the record is not a traditional Quaker name. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't think. <laughs> Still, um, <laughs> still, the relatively modest and uh, uh-huh. the the makeover is relatively modest, and and Quaker said their goal was subtlety. But I'm like, Larry, Larry, yeah, <laughs> so, okay. And I think maybe they just it, it just somebody in in the branding department just made a joke and it and caught, caught on, stuck, and yeah. it just yeah. I'm saying I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. So here is from an old comic strip that long. I mean, we really well known. A character named Patricia Reichart. Reichert. Patricia, Patricia Reichert. Reichert. 
Uh, from an old comic strip, Patricia. Okay, Riker. think of Blondie? what. No, think of what um, you would call Patricia. Pat. Pat uh, or Patty. Yeah, Patty. Uh, or peppermint Patty. Peppermint Patty. Peppermint, yes. Okay, peppermint Patty. From okay. yeah, from Peanuts. Yeah. Okay, and then um, the muted trumpet teacher from Peanuts. Okay, she has a, a whole backstory. Apparently, well, her name is Miss Othmar. Off but then more. she got married, and it was Miss Hagemeyer, which Linus could never remember, right. and it caused him stress. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Hagemeyer. Okay, so this is another branding character that I had a crush on as a kid, which is weird. But <laughs> we'll just let that one slide his first name is Veritably. 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 His last name is Clean. It's Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean. Clean. Mr. Clean will pick up dirt and grease and stain in just a minute. Didn't he have an earring? Like, I like the earring. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, this one is so weird. This one is so weird. By the way, Mr. Clean, if you'd like a podcast to sponsor, we'd be glad to talk with you. I'd be glad to talk with you. No. (laughs) (laughs) And weird. And we're moving on. Okay, so this is, oh, this is such a weird one. It's the name of a board game character. Okay, that we would know. Cavity Sam. Cavity Sam? Yeah, it's such a weird a name. board game? A board game. Okay, and it has it nothing is, to do with teeth. No, not, is it Monopoly? Not Monopoly. No, Monopoly. it's not Monopoly. Cavity, Cavity Sam. Sam. Um, it's an electronic type board game. Wait, not Operation. Operation. <laughs> That's the name of the guy on oh, the Operation. Oh, good job, table. Phil. Good one. <laughs> And I guess because he has all going, these cavities, guess, it's so bad. Good, it's like, Phil. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you remember Curious George? Yeah. The man in the yellow hat has a name. Oh, oh I didn't man. know that. Ted Shackelford. Ted Shackelford. Oh, did you know that? I knew Ted, but I wasn't sure how to pronounce what if I knew the Shackelford. I didn't know Shackelford for sure. <laughs> okay, so I was a man. I just I knew was, him the man in the yellow hat. So I was a man Curious George hat. fan. Um. And did you know that Curious George doesn't have a tail? Yes. That is so weird, too. Well, you know, if you can't draw it right, don't draw it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking if you can draw a monkey, like the tail is right. the easiest part, right? Yeah, how many loops is it going to get? I can draw. I mean, how long does it need to be? I does can... it need to curve at the end? Does, can it just be, you know, stop? I mean, I think I, he would have gotten he... in way more trouble if he had, had a tail. tail. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Probably. Okay, so the Twitter logo is what? It's a little bird, right? It's a little bird. It's supposed to be a bird. It has a name. Oh, really? Bob. It's not Tweety. Not Bob. (laughs) It's Larry again? It's Larry. (laughs) Larry Bird. (laughs) Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Okay. That's all right. I like that. Uh, um, Wasn't there an NBA guy? Yeah, Larry Bird. Bird. There's an actual Celtic player. All right. So who is this? Who is this? Bartholomew Richard Fitzgerald Smythe. Very, oh, that's the uh, is that the guy on Monopoly? No, no, very good, but no, it's very dapper man like that. Right. Well, very dapper character. Let me say that. Not very the peanut. Character. It peanut. is. It's, it's Mr. Peanut. 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 Oh, Mr. Peanut. Yeah. So if his name is Mr. Peanut, you'd think his last name would be, be peanut, peanut, but it's yeah. not. No. Yeah. It's, it's his it's, nickname. Yeah, it's his alias. Yeah. Um. Okay. So Forsyth P. Jones the Third, comic book character. Oh, mad, mad, mad! Is it? It's not the. No, Matt, it's, no, it's not, no, it's not him. Forsyth. Uh, hmm. P. Okay. Jones. Forsyth P. Jones the, the third. third. He's, Dick he's Tracy. No. known for wearing a really distinctive looking hat that looks like a crown. 
What? Oh, come on. It's come Jughead. Oh, Jughead. Jughead. It's Jughead. Archie and Jughead. Okay. Where do the guys, people, I mean, come on. Give them some decent names. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, so remember Toys R Us? Yeah. Okay, and the, the mascot was the giraffe. giraffe. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember his first name? Jeremy? No, not Jeremy. It was Jeffrey. 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 But his full name, apparently he's a doctor. <laughs> of what? I don't know. Of giraffology. Wait, isn't he the kid? It's Dr. G. Raff. Dr. G. Raff. Yeah. <laughs> so Dr. Jeffrey Raff. Oh, okay. Uh, Jeffrey with a G. I got you. First name's Larry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this was one of my favorite TV shows um, growing up. Uh, old-time TV show has a, uh, well, a character, his full name that you never hear on the, well, I don't know if you never hear it, but they don't call him that, Jonas Grumby. Oh, I know this one. That's Skipper. The Skipper. Skipper. Skipper from the <laughs> Island. It's Skipper mentioned two. on the first episode and never again. Yeah. Um. Okay. This guy from Alan a Hale. novel yeah. and a very classic and well-known movie. Oh, my gosh. Oscar, Zorister, Phaedric, Isaac, Norman, Henkel, Emmanuel, Ambrose, Diggs. Not Zorro. Okay, Oscar Zora Zoraster. Sorry. Okay, think of the think of the uh, first letters. No, Oscar Zoraster, Phaedric with a PH. The Wizard of Oz. I yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, so Phaedric Isaac Norman Henkel Emmanuel Ambrose Diggs. So Oz, Oz Pinhead. Pinhead. <laughs> and it's the Wizard of Oz, which is also wow. the traveling sale or tra- not salesman. Um, yeah. Circus Trust performer, performer. Yeah. Circus yeah. performer. Yeah. Right. Okay, one last one to dun, get back. Dun, dun. And this one bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that Winnie the Pooh has a name? It's Ooh. not Winnie and the it's Pooh. It's not Winnie. Not Winnie the Pooh? The Pooh. Oh, Edward J. Bear. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, well, that. I didn't get the J, but I got Edward Bear. So oh, maybe I mean, there may not be a I may have thrown in the J somewhere myself, but it seemed like I remembered from when my kids were little. And so so um, you know, he wrote it from Christopher Robin. You know, he wrote it from right. Christopher Robin's um, play, you know, animals and stuff or yeah. stuffed animals. And Christopher Robin actually came up with the the poo, the word poo, uh-huh. from a combination of the names of a real bear at the zoo and a pet swan. And and so that's where he came up with Winnie the Pooh, but his name, but the bear's name was Edward. Edward so, Bear. Anyway, yeah, Edward but Bear. I don't I know Edward that. Edward J. Bear is what I remember. But then, yeah. yeah. So anyway. About that. Cool. There you go. All right. Those are some great oddities. <laughs> Thank you. And if you're cringing at home from all of our bad answers, you're welcome. Yeah, well, you guessed right <laughs> along with us, I bet. A few months ago, we asked you to go to our website, click on a link, and show us some love by writing notes about how much you like listening to Remnant Stew. It was all for a contest uh, to win sponsorship money. We asked for the love, and we got it. Yes. Thanks to you and the notes that all of you wrote. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see them. Remnant (laughs) Stew was a winner. We won $250, and we wanted to thank you so much and let you know that we decided beforehand that if we won money, the very first thing we would do with it is to give back. So we gave $25 to our local food bank, and we are committed to giving 10% off the top of any money that we make in the future to a charitable cause. That's right. And the second thing we wanted to do was show some gratitude. We've been very blessed here at Remnant Stew to be allowed to record our podcast here in the greater cut-and-shoot area uh, at a studio free of charge. Uh, from a local business. Over the last two years, uh, they they have uh, 
been very generous to us, and so we bought some breakfast pastries and surprised the company employees as a thank you. It was just a small thing, considering, but it's made their Monday just a little bit brighter. And the rest of the money goes toward our operating expenses. So thank you again for being the best listeners ever. Mm -hmm. We love you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. If you're a fan of movies that are true stories, I've got a new podcast recommendation for you. It's called Based on a True Story, and it is the podcast that compares Hollywood with history. You'll learn from historians, authors, TV and film consultants, and sometimes even the real people the movies are based on as they separate fact from fiction in your favorite movies. Hear how much of the gangster movie Donnie Brasco happened from the real Donnie Brasco himself. Listen to the real history behind Downton Abbey from Lady Carnarvon. Laugh along with the real guys that the comedy movie Tag was based on. Get some extra stories from the production set from the historical consultant on the movie The Alamo. Those are just a few examples. So when you're ready to learn how much of your favorite movie really happened, subscribe to Based on a True Story in your podcast app of choice or find it at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Now, let's get back to our weird geography. And let's talk about some interesting human geography. Uh-oh. What country do you think has the longest name? Oh, no idea. Official name. Uh, and it contains actually 56 letters. Wow. Well, it's the UK. But the full name of the UK <laughs> is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Right. Which, There's a lot of politics and, and stuff that went into history that right. went into that. Which is the most characters in a, in a country's full name. Okay. Uh, Libya used to hold the honor at 63 characters when it was called Al-Juma Iraya, Al-Arabaya, Al-Libaya, Ash-Shabaya, Al-Ishtirakaya, Al-Uzma. But then the Rolls name was right off the tongue, folks. Yeah, and sorry about that. I'm sure that I probably said it wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the few, name was changed in few, yeah, 2013 to the state of Libya. There you so, go. Uh, <laughs> had to have extra long uh, envelopes, I guess, to write all that on there. <laughs> anyway, the city with the longest name. Okay, this. if you thought I was struggling with that one, wait oh, to hear this one. Oh, Lord. This is a city, an actual city you will know, but you won't know it by this name. Krung Thep Mathenakon Anan Ratakoshin Mahirantra Uthira Mahadalak, Fop, Napoharat, Ratchaharat, Nani, Burizam, Udum, Ratchan, I'm only halfway through it. I was going to ask if you need to drink water after this. Anan, Pinan, Awatan, Sathit, Sakarathaya, Witsnukam, Prasit. And okay. he's still going, folks. Okay. He's going on till tomorrow. And uh, but most people know it as Bangkok, Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's actually twenty-one words is the official name of the city, that's uh, crazy. and that's the longest name of any place on Earth. What about the shortest name? Well, there are the, the word river in Swedish and Norwegian is simply the letter A with. One of those funny little umlaut symbols over it. I'm quite sure it's not pronounced A. Yeah. 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 yeah, Something. Uh, But both Norway and Sweden have villages with this as their name. So that's the whole name of the town. And 
And, and, oh, okay. Yeah, and Sweden also has another one named O, which is the word for island. Kind of looks like an island when you look at the letter O, I guess, huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, France has a village called Y. Why? Why? Because yeah. we where, like you. Where have you no. been? Yeah. Why? Why? Well, I thought no, I'd ask. No. Well, I thought <laughs> I'd tell you. Why? I've been Costello. Anyway. <laughs> um, now, we all know that New York is the largest city by population in the United States. New York City is known for its staggering skyscrapers, and 42 are so epic that they have their own zip codes. Zip codes, the postal codes, right? Wow. The Empire State Building, the MetLife Building, the Woolworth Building, and the Chrysler Building are some of the buildings to boast this distinction. they got to fit these people in. They'd stack yeah, them on yeah, top right. of each other. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I can see the zip code thing. Now, size isn't the necessarily the deciding factor, as the tallest building in the city, One World Trade Center, doesn't actually have its own uh, zip code. But it's the volume of mail that a primary uh, makes the primary determination whether you get a zip code or not. The The Empire State Building, for instance, um, has 150 businesses that receive mail. That's enough to warrant the structure a zip code of its own. And I think Buddy the Elf is still working in the mail room. Isn't that correct? <laughs> and over here in the greater cut and shoot area, we have whole cities in some cases that don't get its own post office. Right. Right. Own, you know, <laughs> you have to kind of lump a few of them together to get a zip code. <laughs> it might, might stretch a couple counties. Right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, so if New York has the largest population, what about the smallest? The only incorporated town in the United States with a population of one person can be found in Monawi, Nebraska. Wait a minute. A Wait. population of just one just person? Just one person. Monawi, Nebraska. M-O-N-O-W-I, Nebraska. I think there probably used to be more, but they've slowly he, moved away. They're the, they're the holdout. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think it's uh, her name is Elsie Ayler. Uh, according to the B- uh, BBC, Elsie pays taxes to herself and grants her own liquor license. <laughs> <laughs> She probably runs for mayor, and then she yeah. votes herself in, and right. then she, you know. Yeah. I don't feel like you're going to win it this year. <laughs> oh, now, that's awesome. Uh, you, would you like to try to guess the oldest continuously inhabited city on Earth? It's got to be in the in the Middle East. Yeah, I, I think so. That is This one is so, in the Middle East, yeah. Jerusalem? Well, I thought it might be Jerusalem or maybe Athens. And yeah. so we're close. We're in the right neighborhood. But actually, that honor goes to Damascus, Damascus. Syria, okay. Yeah. Okay. which unfortunately is going through some very difficult times yeah. these days. Uh, continuously inhabited at least uh, 11,000 years, Damascus has more than 125 monuments showcasing its different periods of history. Wow. Um, there's a small. Here's another odd fact. There is a small piece of land in the state of North Carolina that actually belongs to the United Kingdom. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Along North Carolina's outer banks, in the small town of Ocracoke, O C R A C O K E. Sounds like two things you would like to enjoy okay. together. Ocracoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Is a land officially uh, leased forever to England. Least forever. Yeah, okay. least forever. Actually, it's a cemetery and a memorial. The site honors the HMT Bedfordshire, which was an English naval ship that patrolled the coastal waters during World War II. When the Bedfordshire was sunk by a German U-boat torpedo, all 37 sailors on board died. Most were never recovered, but four bodies actually did wash ashore. And they are buried in a cemetery in North Carolina, but the land is leased permanently 
to the British so that the man can be remain on their home soil. Oh, wow. That's cool. Nice. Yeah, that is. Nice gesture there, North Carolina. Now, did you know that the world's longest war memorial is actually a road? When Australian soldiers returned from World War I, they were offered jobs to build a road along Australia's coast. By the time of completion in 1932, the Great Ocean Road stretched for 150 miles. Wow. The road was dedicated to the soldiers lost in the war, making it the world's largest war memorial. Oh, that wow. was interesting. Okay, so when so when the when Australian soldiers returned from so what was it the situation kind of like it was here when our soldiers returned? They didn't have the jobs, and so there was. I think in some ways, it, yeah, it was a work program okay. to build the road. Okay, We're that makes sense. 1918, 1919, right in that time. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. Now we know that Canada is a multilingual nation with English and French being the two most common languages. When I lived in Seattle, we actually had a Canadian station on our cable package, and uh, there were always um, French subtitles on any show that was shown in English there. I always liked the uh, when a Western come on, would come on like Bonanza. You know, Hoss <laughs> would walk in and say, howdy, boys. And on the screen below would go, bonjour, monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's not the same. The same. That's not the same. Something gets lost in translation there. <laughs> well, anyway, Switzerland actually has four official languages. South Africa has 11. But can you guess which country has the most languages spoken within its borders? Uh-uh. You probably won't guess this one. It is Papua New Guinea with yep, eight, have guessed that one. 839 living languages. How many people? Oh. 839? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> several, uh, over a million, I think. Okay, okay. But according to Wikipedia, the reason for so many languages is that the island nation has very rough terrain with deep valleys, which has led to the separation okay. of tribes, tribes and clans. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. So over time, they've just separated and formed their own languages. Sometimes they might be similar, but still different. Right. Now, we hear a lot about the many dangerous animals found in Australia. Yes, Australia does have some terrifying animals that can kill you. Spiders, sharks, and poisonous snakes among them. However, more deaths in Australia are caused by horses than okay. any other animal. Really? It's estimated that there are 20 deaths per year due to horse-related injuries in Australia. I wonder why that is. Like, why uh, would they... Well, it would be so high over there and not here. Uh, I don't know. Um, it's more of a rural area, so perhaps there's a lot more horses. I guess. And, That's interesting. And um, uh, maybe their horses are more skittish. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> because of all of the because scorpions of the, and snakes. Yeah, and, right. That's and, it. <laughs> might have, might have a, something to do with it. Now, during uh, another fact, during 2018's World Cup play, Seismologists in Mexico City noticed small earthquakes taking place when Mexico's soccer team scored a goal against Germany. <laughs> Germany was the defending world champions. Champion. Yes. With 75,000 fans in the stadium and thousands more mobbing the city after, uh, after oh, the win, seriously. it's easy to see how a universal leap to their feet would shake the ground. Oh, wow. <laughs> of course, Mexico, is already, Mexico City is already on kind of Tom. unstable ground right. uh, anyway. Going from Mexico back up to our neighbors in the north, you may be able to envision in your mind for a little bit the border between the United States and Canada. Right. For most of its length, the border follows the 49th parallel of latitude. Mm -hmm. That gives it that long, straight line appearance from Washington State all the way to Minnesota or from the Canadian side, from British Columbia all the way to Manitoba. 
Well, around the Great Lakes, though, the border dips to the south. And gets a little wiggly. Yeah. It goes around, <laughs> curves around the lakes and then the St. Lawrence River. Um, here's one geographic oddity that, well, it's really uh, kind of strange. If you leave Detroit, Michigan, and go straight south... You're going to be back in Canada because there's a little neck of Canada that kind of hooks in around uh, the top of Lake Erie, uh, Lake Erie and goes just to the south of Detroit. But even more mind-boggling than that is the fact that 50% of all Canadians live south of the 49th parallel. Okay. And Wait. I just said the 49th parallel is that one that divides the border between border. some, except for that little lake area around the Great Lakes. But half of all Canadians live in that one little area. Uh, that's where the two largest cities, uh, Toronto and Montreal, are okay. located. Uh, but it's still shocking. There's a, a graphic I saw that showed a line following the 49th parallel, and it said. Half Canadians live below this line. Half Canadians live above that line. There's and a just a very small of part Canada. of Canada. Yeah. There's a whole a lot, lot of Canada, Canada above the line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I guess is unpopulated. Yeah, it's sparsely populated anyway. So, now speaking of Canada, nine percent of the country is actually covered in freshwater lakes. Mm. Uh, with thirty-one thousand seven hundred fifty-two lakes, the country has more lakes than anywhere else in the world. And these lakes are pretty impressive in scope, too. Uh, 561 of Canada's lakes measure more than 62 square miles. So pretty oh good size. A lot of lakes and a lot of large lakes. So land of lakes, that's Canada. Okay, wait a minute. I'm going to look up a fact real quick. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Because I heard that Texas has... No, no natural lake. lakes. Okay. And no I'm natural say. lakes. Okay. Yeah. So that that's really odd that here in Texas, it's such a big state, such right. a huge state. We have a lot of lakes. All of them are man-made lakes. If we wanted a lake, we had to build it ourselves. That's yep. right. That's right. We had to build a dam and, and build it ourselves. I think there was one natural lake that occurred in, in deep east Texas by a little town named Jefferson. It was caused by a log jam. And then the logs unjammed and but there was, went the lake. But it was a dam that the beavers built. Yeah, something there, like right? that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to take us back to Mexico. Yay. All right. There is a cave 984 uh, feet beneath the Sierra uh, de Ni Nica. Nica? Nica? Uh -huh. yeah. Mountain in Chihuahua, Mexico, that contains spectacularly big selenite crystals. Um these crystals, they're, they're absolutely massive. Right. The cave was discovered in April 2000 by brothers Juan and Pedro Sanchez while drilling in the mine. We have pictures that we'll put on our social media, but you have to really even look at these pictures yeah. to see that there's a man in the photos. They're enormous. Because, well, <laughs> enormous crystals. Yeah. yeah, you don't realize that the crystals are as big, you know, because when you're looking at a picture, you don't have perspective until you see the man there. That And the crystals are so much larger than the men. Um most and they didn't turn into giants overnight. Most of the crystals are anywhere from 13 to 19 feet long, but the very largest are 36 feet right. long wow. and about 3.2 feet thick. Um, they look a, like tree trunks almost. They're huge. Yeah, I've seen a, pictures of them. A study from and we'll have several photos of these. A study by scientists say that under the conditions uh, that the cave presented, it would have taken anywhere from 500,000 to 900,000 years to grow a crystal that thick in diameter. Wow. So while a cave full of giant crystals is a sight to behold, it is not a tourist destination. The cave was only yeah, keep discovered. Your, keep your hands off. Right. Well, here's the thing. And 
Well, (laughs) there was somebody that tried to steal one, and I'll tell you about that. The cave was only discovered when the mining company drained it of water, and it has since filled back up with water. But that's probably a good thing because the cave was actually a death trap. Mm-hmm. Due to a pool of magna that lies beneath the cave, the air temperature climbs as high as 113 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, pretty and hot in there. The humidity levels are also close to 100%. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So the place is so humid, you actually have to have fresh air in order to go inside and be able to breathe for any length of time without drowning. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, cause can you, I mean, yeah, it's, we can imagine, cause, like, it's humid here. Yeah. It is yeah, very we'll humid. Yeah, cut and shoot areas. It's very humid in the summer. Humidity, truly. Oh, but yeah. it's not that humid. Ugh. Not that much, no. A team of scientists explored the cave in detail in 2006, but to survive and be able to work in the extreme conditions, uh, in the extreme temperature and humid conditions, they developed their own refrigerated suits and cold breathing systems. They wore specially refrigerated overalls. (laughs) That's not a term I ever thought I'd say. You know, together in one sentence. I think that we could market those here in the greater country (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's days, you know. Hey, you just want to be chilled. (laughs) Um, But they had, okay, so the overalls had a mattress of tubes running all through it. (laughs) And each scientist carried a 44-pound backpack of ice water that pumped water through their suits to keep them cool. And still, they could only spend about 20 minutes at a time inside the cave. And there was a man that once the cave was discovered and word got out, he went in there to try and and steal a crystal for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he went in there and he took plastic bags of fresh air. Well, that sounds which, like it would work. Ziplocs are amazing. Yeah, yeah. it didn't, didn't work. work. He, <laughs> he yeah. lost consciousness, and when he was found, he was he was found not you know it was a while before anybody went back in there, and he was completely baked. Ooh. Like he was just. Ugh. We're talking yeah. baked, like baked. baked. Yeah. yeah. Like in yeah. an oven baked. Right, in yes. an oven baked. Wow. So um, even though the cave is filled back up with water, scientists are worried that the 20 or so years that the water had been kept out of the cave for scientific exploration may have killed the growth of the crystals. Only time will tell. Oh, I'll bet so they'll grow again. Uh, but they all, I think there is talk about draining it again and air conditioning it to make it maybe a tourist attraction. But I think. Um, and I don't know, this is only speculation on my part. I think only if they just determine that the growth has been killed, you know. Yeah, because yeah. you don't want to really so, prevent that for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, I think, yeah, the draining also um, was used agriculturally. They, it was kind of in a dry area, but all the water that came out of mm-hmm. it, they were using it in the area uh, to support some agriculture, too. And grew these giant crops. Yeah. <laughs> they were enormous. They okay. looked like crystals from Mexico. <laughs> Speaking, and I need to, I need to cite that. Let's see, where did I get my information on that? Oh. Um, science dot and it was a great article by Mark Mancini. Nice. Okay. And so this next one, speaking of mineral growth, um, this next one is about a special kind of rock found in Romania called a trovent. Trovent. Okay. Trovents are unique because they grow in size over time at a rate that you can visibly see. You can watch the rock grow. That's right. And so I got wow. this information Wait. from whereonearth.net. Um, I wish in an I had article. that when I was a kid. Right. Okay. By <laughs> Haley Bront. Bronze, Bronze, B-R-O-T-Z-E. So mm-hmm. trovins are particularly formed rocks with a hard stone core with an outer layer of highly porous sand that forms to make a shell. And to quote an article in whereonearth.net by Haley Bronze, Bronze, Bronze. Okay, quote, after every heavy rain shower, trovins absorb the rain's minerals. Minerals are combined with the chemicals already present in the stone that later creates a reaction of pressure inside. 
The pressure spontaneously makes the rock grow from the center to its margins and, and multiply. And when she says multiply, I think she means grow. Grow. Um, so to simplify it, they absorb rainwater and then secrete a type of cement that hardens and adds to the size of the stone. Sometimes Weird. this also allows the stone to slide or move location. So, oh, a so rolling you can, stone moves around. Yeah, really? So you can okay. <laughs> oh, so awesome. so these people like these. Are, this has been going on for a long time. So the people in the, this area of Romania have noticed that these rocks, rocks keep moving places. They, they kind of move and they kind of grow. <laughs> My border was five feet over and, there. Right. So they so they and when you cut the rocks, a lot of times they'll show growth rings. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, like a tree. Yeah. So, yeah. Like sense. a tree. So um, they've been thought of by the locals as living stones, and there have been a lot of legends that have sprung up around the stones. So it makes me think of the Disney movie Frozen. With trolls. Yeah, the, tr- the, <laughs> the stone trolls. trolls. Okay. Uh-huh. So I really, really looked and tried to find – I could not find anywhere where those stone trolls were – Based on Trovance. Yeah, that that's, uh, that's, so, that information is kept in a vault, deep, right. yeah. deep in a deep. deep in a hole in Anaheim. I just, I just knew Disney it was, ain't giving that one up. So anyway, whether they, you know, if you're but from Disney, Disney, if you're looking for yeah. a sponsor, that's right. We'd be glad to have a conversation with you. Exactly. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to some um, some of the, some more articles from the uh, some more items from Ms. Poirot's article about mind blowing geography facts. Uh, let's talk about some extreme geography. Yeah, we, we get on the edge here, don't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we we've, we've had a, actually last couple of winters here in the Greater Cut and Shoot area have been pretty cold, uh, unusually cold for us, in fact. For us. Uh, but we haven't seen negative 128. No, no, I, I don't want to. But back in uh, 1983, the Soviet Vostok station in Antarctica recorded a ground temperature of negative 128.6 degrees oh, no. Fahrenheit, or that's negative 89.2 degrees Celsius. Ugh. Uh, on the other hand, the coldest, uh, I'm sorry, that was the coldest temperature ever recorded on Earth. Now, on the other hand, the hottest temperature ever recorded on Earth was 134 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, or 56 degrees Celsius in Death Valley, California. Mm. That was in 1913. Before air conditioning. Before air conditioning. Oh, <laughs> no way. Now, you, it's interesting because we hear about climate change and, you know, warming, but yet that still is, stands, I think, as the hottest recorded temperature mm. more than 100 years ago. For the most snow now, we have to head to... A, let's see, A-O-M-O-R-I, Amori, <clears throat> which is a city on the northern tip of Japan's Honshu Island. The Sea of Japan contributes to its winter precipitation, giving the mountain city an annual snowfall of more than 312 inches. What? Or that's like 26 feet or over 8 meters of snow every year. That's that is the world crazy. record. That's a lot of snow. For snow. And over here in the cut and shoot area, we get like a uh, centimeter if maybe. we're happy. Yeah, yeah I mean, if we're, and that, if we're that lucky. that just makes us happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they call off school. School, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> there, there was a flutter. Yeah. <laughs> a flurry. No, we can't get no, out in that. No, not, not even a flurry because that would be more than two oh, or two. three. <laughs> two or three, that's true. Um, now, I enjoy a nice rainstorm, though. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. As long as I'm inside in, in a high, dry location. That was kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know that I'd enjoy uh, Mausworm, I'm sorry, M-A-W-S-Y-N-R-M, Mausenram, India. This is the wettest place on earth. The northeastern villages receive, on average, 724 inches of rain each year. 
that average up to about two inches of rain every day. Wow. That's amazing. That's isn't? a lot of rain. <clears throat> On the flip side, it might be interesting to experience Arica, Chile, where they once went 14 years with no rain at all. Okay, that interesting. That's not really the word I'd be looking for. <laughs> that's dry. That's well, it, yeah. One thing that is interesting there, though, is that they have an underground water source that's pretty plentiful somehow, and they actually do grow asparagus there. Oh uh, wow! Uh, okay. In, in well, Arica. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and then going back to that rain, two two inches a day. It's like when we get two inches in this area, Houston floods. Yeah. Like we flood so badly. Can you imagine having that on top, all piled on the top time? every yeah. day, every day, every day? Yeah. Wow. I guess you've come accustomed to it. Your aqueducts would get, you know, built really well. Yes, <laughs> you'd you'd be experts at that. There is a part of Antarctica that's known as Dry Valley that hasn't seen any rain at all in the past hundred years, likely much longer. As long as scientists have been going there, it's never rained in that well, that area. Well, now we're going to throw in a few human-made extremes here. Of course. The longest bridge continuously running across water can be found not too far from the Greater Cut and Shoot area. Just over in our neighboring state of Louisiana, Louisiana. the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway Mm -hmm. stands on 9,500 concrete pilings as it runs nearly 24 miles in length over Lake Pontchartrain. So, like, Louisiana is just a swamp. Like, as soon as you go over, like, I don't know (laughs) if they even consider these bridges. It's just the the state freeway, you know. It's a state street. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it just just goes. Yeah, it, you just and I'm like, what do you do when you have a wreck or or it something? Closes it down. Yeah. And you have to wait. Yeah. I, so I remember uh, this is completely off the topic, but I just thought of it now. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, folks in Louisiana were tired of us Texans breezing through their state at high speed. So for uh, like a two week period, every hour on the hour, they had two highway patrolmen starting at the state line of Texas. Driving at the speed limit, blocking no. both lanes all the way across no. the state. <laughs> that oh. is made, made us Texans slow down as we uh, drew through. The, okay, yeah, the that's infuriating. Yeah, you don't want to time that just right to be in front of them. <laughs> right, <laughs> but not the last one in front of them. Uh, speaking of bridges, though, uh, China is home to the tallest bridge. Now, I saw a picture of this, and it's just so freaky. How do they build it? I don't know. We'll try to put a picture of it on our Facebook page. It's a uh, four thousand four hundred feet long, and I'm going to say this wrong: Duge Duge Bay Panjang Bridge. But it goes across a valley that is one thousand eight hundred fifty-four feet deep. I mean, wow. way way down. How do they even do that? I don't know. And somebody said, "Hey, we need a bridge right here. I guess yeah, yeah, we want to go over this, not under it. <laughs> do need a bridge? It's too long to get all the way down and back up the other side. So, uh, people are once again enjoying air travel. Um, yep. got, got some flights uh, planned up. I've uh, been on a couple, actually. The longest flight I've ever been on is about 12, 13 hours uh, from between here and uh, and uh, Germany. And also between the United States and Korea, I was on a pretty long flight, too. Um, but the longest scheduled airline flight in the world is 19 hours. It goes from Newark, New Jersey to Singapore. Oh, my goodness. 19 hours on one airplane. That could get a little uncomfortable. So hopefully they – hope you got your leg room. Yeah, have some leg room. One thing that's nice is that they do have nice movie entertainment systems on these planes yep. nowadays for long flights. So you can – Charging so, stations. You can and, make the time yeah. pass so by. So what would, what, how long would it be to just fly all the way around the world on a commercial jet now? Like I wonder – like Well, if you went straight around the equator, that's – so That's I'm, 19 hours over 9,500 miles, so about three times that long, I would guess. Wow. 
But uh, of course, they couldn't make it nonstop. But uh, you know, right. you'd have to stop and refuel. I'd want a break. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't like to fly. Uh-huh. It just it it well, bothers me. So I really like flying. I don't have a problem with flying. It's the it's, it's, sudden it's the, stops you know. right, that, <laughs> and the sudden it, drop out of the sky. Yeah, that's it, it's it's the length of time of sitting on. On yeah. your keister, waiting, waiting because, to take off, yeah, yeah. Or, or waiting in the air till you land again, yeah. But it's it's that you know, there's really not a whole lot of movement you you could do, right? Not with everybody on the plane, so it's it's you uh, that want that break to get up and walk. That doesn't bother me. I can sit. <laughs> I can <laughs> I can chill. It's the noise that bothers me. Not oh, the constant. Uh, white it, but noise I, that so it is. I've never, yeah, yeah. I've never um, flown with. Ear or ear canceling, <laughs> noise canceling ear thing, Earphones. and so maybe yeah. that might make a difference. But it is—it's yeah. it's the noise. I get over, stu- you know, I can't stand the constant noise. About the most unusual thing I've ever had happen on a flight, and this sounds like fodder for a whole different episode. <laughs> <clears throat> I mentioned Seattle earlier. We were going up to Seattle during—I guess it was December or January—a few years back. And normally, when you come over the Cascades, I can get my bearings because I know geography and know the area. But this time, I you couldn't see anything because it was just fog. And so, okay, I was waiting to break through the clouds and then, so that I could look and see out over the city and see where we were. But there was just more clouds and more clouds and more clouds and more clouds. And then suddenly, we're on the runway landing. <laughs> oh, tarmac. yeah, that tarmac completely convinced you. And after we pulled to the stop, the pilot comes on and says. Fortunately, we have this GPS system because we couldn't see a thing up here. <laughs> yeah, glad you told saying. us after you landed. Yeah, nice to know. Uh, well, anyway, now that was that's the longest flight. But if uh, you might like this one, since if that's too long for you, uh, the the shortest commercial flight in the world is between the islands of Westray and Papa Westray in Scotland, one point seven miles oh. apart. On Logan Air connects the islands in 57 seconds if the weather holds. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that is so funny. And finally, uh, the world's oldest tree. It's actually an olive tree called Al-Badawi, and you can find it in Bethlehem. Oh, nice. Yes, right. Bethlehem. Okay, wait a minute. I think it's this... called Al-Badawi. 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 But you, the way you said it is like his first name is Al. Yeah, Al. it's Al. And then... <laughs> well, it's separated. It's hyphenated, so that's why I separated it there. <laughs> Al-Badawi. Okay, anyway. You can find it in Bethlehem in Palestine. That's the same Bethlehem where Jesus was born. It's estimated to be between 4,000 and 5,000 years old. Mm. The tree stood tall thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. You may wonder if he ever walked under it. Probably he did, if it would be right in his hometown. Right. Um, it's still alive and well today. Olive oil making in the region is thought to go back for about 8,000 years. Olive oil, olive trees are very prominent in that part of the world. Yeah. Well, once again, we'd like to thank Lisa Porot. Thank you, Lisa. For allowing us to use her terrific article. And if you'd like to see more, because we didn't even get near all of the 126 mind-blowing facts, you can find her by Googling farandaway.com slash geography facts. Okay, so one one last um, amazing geography thing, and this is so beautiful. Scientists have long since discovered channels running under the ocean floor and suspected that they acted like underwater rivers. Yeah. But it was the discovery of an actual underwater river running through the Black Sea that proved their actual existence. Hmm. Because of their location, these streams and rivers have been difficult to explore. 
Um, teams of scientists, however, have used a torpedo underwater vehicle to get as close to the current under the Black Sea as possible. So it's like a current in the water. That's right. So on the bottom. In the ocean, so yeah. what they found was a river that was 37 miles long and up to 152 feet deep in places wow. and more than a half a mile wide. It flows at a speed of about four miles per hour with a flow of 780,000 cubic feet of water per second. Holy cow. Nice. If it were located on the surface, it would be ranked as the sixth largest river in the world. Wow. So how does that work? What separates the river water from the seawater? Well, it's because the water is denser with a higher salinity than the surrounding water. This occurs hmm. also in other places, and there's evidence that ancient people knew something of this. Uh -huh. The Bosphorus, also known as the Strait of Istanbul, right. is a narrow natural strait and an internationally significant waterway located in uh, northwestern Turkey. Right. So it divides it, the city of Istanbul, I think. Right. Okay. So there's this this um, blog that I subscribe to called um, – <sighs> I'll call it Ty Wick Whidbey. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it is, it, it's the acronym for things you wouldn't know if we didn't blog intermittently. Oh. And so, <laughs> and, and it's fascinating. I mean, I can't, I okay. can't stress it enough. Like he is so interesting. And, um, and so an expert or an excerpt from okay. uh, that I got. This information from that an blog. excerpt from an expert, you would say, an excerpt from a 1998 book, Noah's Flood: The New Scientific Discoveries About the Event That Changed History, by William Ryan and Walter Pittman, says, and I quote: "As far back as the Persian invasions of Byzantium in the early seventh century, there had been knowledge of another current flowing in the opposite direction to the surface surface current and lying below it. When the Byz Byzantine emperor." Heraclius, I think. There you go. Yeah, I think so. Heraclius crushed the invaders from the Asia, from Asia Minor. He flung the torso and head of his foe separately into the Bosphorus. The bloated torso floated and it drifted south in, in the surface current. The head sank directly to the bottom. Months later, teeth washed ashore in gravel bars to the north. Oh, oh my goodness. interesting. And, and I read somewhere. Okay, listen. I read this a long time ago. I thought it was on the site, and I could not find it. But sailors back then knew that they could, on the surface, they could sail north with the current. Right. But if they wanted to go in the opposite direction, they would drop um, a large vessel, like a large yeah. uh, barrel or something mm -hmm. that would go and catch the Ballast current on the bottom. And pull them south. And it would pull them south. Interesting. Yes. Really interesting. So uh, the best... Pictures I could find of an underwater river are of one in Cenote, Angelita, Mexico. It's beautiful. So check out our Facebook and Instagram to see it. And I got my information from Wikipedia, tywickwidby.blogspot.com. I guess one of the best known underwater rivers would be like the Gulf Stream that comes out of the Gulf of Mexico mm -hmm. and across the Atlantic Ocean and gives European countries a much warmer or milder climate than they would normally have. Um, I think Benjamin Franklin actually proved the existence of that on one of his uh, trips, uh, diplomatic trips across to Europe uh, by throwing a, a thermometer overboard, or, you know, periodically. And uh, <laughs> all of a sudden it's warmer in this little part of the water here for some reason. He'd heard sailors talking about that. Really fascinating stuff. And now it's time, boys and girls, for the trivia challenge. <laughs> All right, you know how the trivia challenge works. Like and follow our Facebook page at Remnant Stew Podcast. 
like and share this episode post, put your answer to the trivia challenge question in the comments of that post. The first person to do all of that will be the winner and will be mentioned in an upcoming episode of Remnant Stew. So what's our trivia question today? Okay, so Harbin Gould came up with this one. Hey, um, Harbin. This grove of 400 pines was planted around 1930. Each pine bend... Each pine tree bends sharply to the north, just above ground level, hmm. goes about three to nine feet, and then goes and then curves straight Upwards. up. Okay, the That's curved strange. the yeah, curved weird. pines are surrounded by normal straight pine trees. Hmm. What is the name of this uh, grove of trees or the, of this forest, and where are they located? That's a good one. Kind of makes you wonder if the straight pine trees say bad things about those <laughs> the crooked ones. <laughs> crooked ones over there. <laughs> All right, folks, remember to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages at Remnant Stew Podcast. Drop us an email at staycurious at remnantstew.com just to say hi or let us know of any topics that you want us to cover in future episodes. Remnant Stew is created by me, Leah Lamp. Dr. Stephen Meeker and I research, write, and host each episode, along with commentary by our audio producers, Philip Singfeld. You're welcome. Theme music is by Kevin McLeod with voiceover by Morgan Hughes. Special thanks goes out to Judy Meeker and Harbin Gold. Now, before you go, please hit the follow button so you won't miss an episode. Head over to Apple Music and leave us a review. Maybe we'll read your review next. Share Remnant Stew with your friends, family, travel agent, hairstylist, geography professor, and the voice that directs you on your map app. Until <laughs> next time, remember to choose to be kind and, and always stay curious. curious.